Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study here from the Rick and Bubba Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. We're so thankful that you are here. Thanks to all the men that are in the room here today. And uh, we're continuing in the Gospel of John. If you are you know, listening to this or watching this live uh, or an archive here in the same day, some things you need to be, to be aware of. Uh, coming up on uh, February the 21st and the 22nd, the Pursuit Men's Conference will be coming to Dothan, Alabama. Already getting some emails, people traveling from all over the country to be there. Uh, it'll be the Dothan Civic Center, and it will be some of our, our guys, guys out of this Bible study, guys that are part of the manchurch.com, uh, part of that team. Uh, Rich Wingo will be speaking. Bill Searcy will be giving his testimony. Brody Kroll will be speaking. Uh, I'll be speaking and emceeing the night. And uh, Michael Adler and, and our very own Chris Adler uh, will be there along with the praise and worship team. And we're going to have an incredible weekend together. Also, uh, themanchurch.com, our, our curriculum that will be made available uh, nationwide on March the 2nd, will already be ready for implementation there in Dothan for the Pursuit Men's Conference. So if you're coming there representing a church or a small group uh, and you'd like to find out about our system uh, that is going to give the, uh, the, the high equipping side uh, that is uh, so many times lacking when it comes to men's ministry, uh, a full-blown curriculum designed by men for men, uh, then we'll have that available for you at that event even before March 2nd. For everybody else, on March the 2nd, it goes live, themanchurch.com. You should be able to go there onto that website and implement uh, any of the resources that will be beneficial to you and, and your men's ministry uh, that so many times is, is sadly lacking uh, at many churches or maybe your community. You'd like to, to have access to that, something that is designed by men for men. Uh, themanchurch.com. You can go ahead and go there now, put your email in, and you'll get updates as we start getting closer to that date. On April the 3rd in Montgomery, Alabama, if you would like to join us, you say, you know what, I've, I've looked at the website. I, I still would like to be in the room. I'd like to hear from you, Rick, and the team to talk to us how to implement these resources that you guys have been working on for the last four years. Then you can certainly do that, but seating is limited. It'll be at Taylor Road Baptist Church, Montgomery, Alabama, on April the 3rd. It is, there's no charge for that, but you do need to reserve your seat because the seating is limited, and uh, that'll be a way for you to be in the room to learn how to implement all the resources that are available at themanchurch.com as well. So make a note uh, of those items there. Uh, we're going to open a word of prayer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over here with Bubba Collins. Bubba's here. Bubba, you know, is ha having some health issues. He's got an ablation coming up tomorrow. Uh, so I'm just going to lay hands on him, and if you guys would join me as we open up in, in a word of prayer. Lord, uh, first of all, we just lift up our brother to you. So thankful, Lord, for uh, the last four years that uh, that Bubba and I have uh, both been growing spiritually through through this 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 plan that you implemented at our local church. Uh, you know, and, and certainly we love our church, but uh, uh, as far as men, uh, the, we we just didn't have a place where, where men could get together and, and and sharpen each other. And and over the last four years, the growth that that we both have seen in our lives, and so thankful for his friendship. And Lord, we know that he's having some health struggles right now. Tomorrow, I pray that everybody that will be uh, uh, doing this procedure will be using the talent that you've given them, that they'll be on their A game. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'll continue to use Bubba to to point people to you. And Lord, we pray that uh, that you'll help him overcome this this health obstacle that's in his life, and restore him uh, uh, to health. And Lord, to give him in this last half of our lives, I pray, Lord, that you uh, you, you would be gracious and to give to him his health, where he can go out and and and, and you know fulfill the the call that you placed on his life. Pray for his family. I know this is a tough time for them, uh, Lord, that you'll comfort them in a way that is that is supernatural. I know that uh, Bubba loves you. 
And he certainly prays, as we all do, that your will be done. We make these requests at your feet today, Jesus. Also, Lord, as we step into our study today, I pray that you'll, you'll take all of us and refine us and, and take us to, 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 to that next step in our relationship with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I love you, buddy. All right, so if you have your Bible, uh, we're, we're in John chapter 12. Uh, we're going to start in verse 27 today. Now, verse 27 doesn't take very long. We jump right into something that, uh, boy, we've had people that have just pontificated over time all about what is Jesus saying right here? Because uh, we know when we left last week that, that this talk of the hour that is to come, and what is the hour we're talking about? Something we celebrate. Jesus Christ is going to the cross, and he was waiting for the sign from his father that the hour is now. It's not in the future. It, we're starting the process now, and that's when the Greek showed up, and they said, we want to follow Jesus. We want to know about Jesus. That was the sign he was waiting for. He calls out to the Father. The hour, uh, uh, if you look at last week, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Uh, and then we ended last, uh, last week, Jesus talking about that. But then we look at verse 27, where we start, we see Jesus, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on here. Remember that, that God came off his throne. He took on human flesh. Uh, just like we talk about with our uh, our curriculum and these devotionals, if you re- really want to know how to be a man, the flawless example and the only one that's flawless that exists is when God became one. God said, I will now go to mankind. I will become a man. I will take on the 100% persona of man while at the same time remaining 100% God so that then he goes to the cross and pays the price for our sin. It is the proper sacrifice, the final lamb of God. So, but look what happens here, showing once again that that 100% human side. Here's what Jesus says Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this person, I mean, for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And then 28 uh, A, Father, glorify your name. So there's all sorts of theories about what's going on here. And frankly, through looking at the commentaries, very few of them, other than one, really stands up to any scrutiny. Uh, and um, if, you, if you are familiar with the Gospels, you know there's a moment that's coming when Jesus finds himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we know that he's under such stress that, that doctors will tell you that, that the capillaries, this blood we talk about, the capillaries begin to burst over the stress, and Jesus' sweat of this stress becomes mixed with blood. And we know this is a time of stress because he says what? He says to his father, is there another way to do this? Let this cup pass. Now the cup that he's talking about is the cup of God's wrath. And if you've been in here for the last four years, we've covered this before, but for the benefit of those of you that may have missed this point, or for those of us like myself that always need to hear these things again, it's important to understand because you understand what's going on here when Jesus is talking about this stress that's on the 100% man side of him, certainly the cross is grueling. Certainly it's horrifying. It's a terrible way to die. However, that's not exactly what this is all about. Uh, we, we have brothers and sisters of Christ that this week will be martyred in ways that are sometimes even more grueling than being put on a cross. We, we have martyrs that have been skinned alive and just horrible, horrible things. So it's certainly horrific, but the true stress comes from what's really about to happen, and that is he's going to take the wrath of the Father. 
the wrath of a holy God that must be poured out on sin in its fullness will be poured out on Jesus. So on that cross, he's going to take the full wrath of God that we're supposed to take and deserve, which should be enough for us to say thank you, Jesus, and live a life that, that reflects our thankfulness. Uh, the picture that, if, there's been so many pictures of this, but the one that always resume, resonates with me is you picture that there's this giant tidal wave that is coming to annihilate you and me, and Jesus stands there and takes the tidal wave right into his chest and blocks it from hitting us. And so this is a stressful situation and, and he, you almost hear Jesus talking to himself and, and almost like, have you ever had this before where you would say something like, man, I'll tell you right now, I'm just kind of nervous about what I have to do. But I mean, I, why am I being nervous? I mean, I have to do this and this, I told everybody I would do it and they're expecting me to do it. But man, this sure is nerve wracking. Well, I don't know what I'm upset about. I knew what I was getting into. He's literally having this conversation with him and his father that he's saying, look, my soul is troubled. So most of the commentaries that, that try to say something's going on other than this really don't, they just don't pass the test of scrutiny. I think what Jesus is saying right now is exactly what he's saying. My soul is troubled. Uh, uh, my, my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this? So he's saying, I'm troubled, but at the same time, I know why I came. Am I now supposed to say to the Father, I'm not going to do it, or, or let's go another way? And so then he gets down to the thing that he always says. He says, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And what is the purpose? Father, glorify your name. <laughs> Ultimately, I'm here to glorify my Father, and I'm here to accomplish his will. And what has John told us about Jesus throughout the gospel? I am here to do whatever the Father, whatever pleases the Father, that's what I'm here to do. Now, you do realize that he's also showing an example to whom? us. You know, he says, follow me. So if we're to follow him, then our attitude has to get to the point, and we've talked about this before, but I, I don't know that it can be repeated enough. We have to get to the point that our lives as followers of Jesus, not out of a, a code of conduct, not out of legalism, not out of anything burdensome. It's just if we're under the authority of Christ and we have fallen in love with Christ because of how wonderful he is, once we've pursued him and now that intimate relationship between us and Jesus has become so powerful that he now just oozes from us because we fed the spirit, not, not the flesh, and the spirit has become more powerful than the flesh, that we live our life with every decision that we make and everything that we do, we say to ourselves, we are going to do whatever pleases God. That's our example. And, uh, and that's the reason why it gets confusing sometimes when people will claim, as Jesus talks about, that they know him, but then they live their life almost doing the opposite doing things that do not please God, which means either you've never encountered God or you're rebellious. One or the other is going on, and I certainly have lived both sides of that, sadly. So what Jesus says in 28, he says, Father, glorify your name, meaning he's acknowledging his role as the servant to the Father. You know, he's really showing us an example of, remember when we, we, we did the, the lesson that time, how to pray, how not to pray? And what's one of the things that Jesus said that we should pray? Hallowed be your name. Glorify your name. May your name be honored, not embarrassed. Right? It's one of the things we love about the study of Acts. In Acts chapter 4, when they finally received the Holy Spirit, they were bold and they prayed for boldness. And they said, when persecution comes or the world comes against us, Lord, we pray that we will be bold enough to do what? 
not embarrass you. That will glorify your name, not embarrass it. And so Jesus is saying, look, this is a troubling time for me right now, but ultimately I'm going to follow through because I'm going to do whatever glorifies uh, uh, the Father's name. And then he gets a voice uh, from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. So now the Father answers from heaven, my name has been glorified, but it's going to continue to be glorified. Pay attention to that. Now, heaven answering in Scripture, we see this three times, meaning that a voice comes from heaven, and we see this during Jesus' ministry three times at his baptism. In his baptism, we got an audible sound from heaven. At the transfiguration, we get audible from heaven. And now here, here's number three. And number three is when he says, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And when he says that, the Father says, hey, it's been glorified. Let me confirm you, son. What you've done so far has glorified my name. May that be said. May that be said about every one of us. So, so right now, if we stand before God and we look at the way we're living our lives and we look at how we've lived it, we look like how we're currently living it, and then hopefully we're making a commitment on how we're going to live it, and we say out loud, can you imagine saying out loud, hey, Father, may, may everything I do glorify your name. Would we hear the answer from heaven, I have been glorified? Or would we hear, I've been embarrassed? I've been embarrassed. I was just talking to... Uh, to one of, one, of, one of my kids that I was talking about just here recently, and, and they had the proper response, but there was something that they had done, and when I saw it, I said, I just saw what you did, and I'm embarrassed by it. I'm disappointed. You're, you're better than that. that what, what you've done and what you've put out there and the way you're representing yourself is typical. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's, not, uh, it's not different it's not living in the world. It's not being of the world. The way you have just behaved is the way anybody else would behave who doesn't know Jesus. And I want you to know as your earthly father, I'm embarrassed by it. And I'm disappointed. Now, thankfully, the proper response came back is you're absolutely right. And I apologize for embarrassing you. And I'm going to correct this. But, but, that, but that's, the, that's, that's the same relationship we have with our heavenly father. You know, like we talk about, we, we're so thankful for grace, but you see throughout Scripture, we're not called to abuse grace. And so right now, let's just look at your life right now, and I'm going to look at my life right now, and I'll say, hey, 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 Father, I, I want to glorify your name. Am I going to hear from heaven, you are glorifying it? Or am I going to hear from heaven, I don't see it? When, when will you get to that? Because right now you're embarrassing me. You're not glorifying me. And so, but here is Jesus, our example, hearing from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will continue again. What does he mean by I'm going to continue again? Well, what he's saying is, I'm going to continue to be glorified because you're going to the cross for the ultimate glorification of who we are. It's, it's going to continue. He's, he's saying that he knows that his son is not going to turn away, thank the Lord, and, thank, and, and th how thankful we should be that he's going to get to the cross. But we also know, apparently, there, 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 if, if, if the father had said, you know what, we're done, that it would exit it. So 
that's the reason why this is not something we should abuse. It was not a given. I mean, we didn't deserve it. And what we are getting is not what we deserve. What we're getting is what God has given us by his grace and his mercy. Praise his holy name. So, so now we get to 29 and 30, and it gets real interesting here. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered, and others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Hmm. So first of all, apparently the people around there couldn't fully understand what was said. Some people said, I think that was just thunder. So some of them didn't get it. Uh, it says if, if, if they heard it and they, and they didn't understand it, or, or they didn't understand the source of the voice, why? Because somebody said, no, no, I don't think it was thunder. I think it was an angel. So what we see in the audience is two different reactions. One, I don't know what that was. It just sounded like thunder to me. And then somebody else says, no, no, it was a voice, but I think it was a voice of an angel. So how can Jesus say it was for their benefit and not his? If they didn't understand it and they didn't get it right, how is this for their benefit? Not his. He said, I didn't really need to hear that, but, but what I just heard was for your benefit. Well, he's certainly not saying it was of no benefit to him. That's the first thing you got to understand. He's not saying it didn't benefit him at all. He's just saying that was not the reason for this. He, he was encouraged to fulfill his mission. And so what, what he means by that, whether they understood it or not, the reason why it benefited them is because he got that encouragement to continue, which was ultimately going to benefit us. So what he's saying is you didn't have to understand it, but let me tell you what just happened was for your benefit because I've been told by my father that I have glorified his name and that I'm going to continue to glorify it, meaning I just heard that I'm going on to the cross. So he, that was said to benefit you. I didn't have to hear it. You follow that? Even if they didn't understand it. So a lot of times, even if we don't fully understand everything that's going on, what Jesus is saying is, hey, know that I'm petitioning your needs to the Father. Isn't that a beautiful sight? I'm petitioning your needs to the Father. That great, that great truth in Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and prays what we ought to be praying. Man, you know, so even if we don't fully understand everything, what Jesus is saying is understand that God has you in mind and what's going on is for your benefit. Somebody say amen to that. So he also said another reason that, that it was good for them to, to hear this is that they're all acknowledging and they'll remember this after he comes back from the dead. What they heard, just heard was supernatural. You may not have understood everything my father just said, but you heard something and you know that something just took place and you all were here to witness it. You're going to remember that when people start doubting who I am, and I'll start telling you who I am. You're going to remember that. So now verse 31 and 30 through 33, and this gets really good here. So Jesus answered them, The voice has come for your sake, not mine. 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And then John tells us what he's talking about. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Judgment begins. Now is the judgment of this world. Hmm. So, so when you first hear that, you go, well, that doesn't sound right. John must have this wrong. He must be confusing the revelation and his gospel. No, that, that's not right. Because you're thinking, no, the ultimate judgment comes, Rick, when Jesus returns. True. That, that is true. But... 
He's saying the fact that I'm about to go to the cross, judgment has become, begun now. Now, what does he mean by that? Here's what he means. When he goes to, to the cross, the first coming of Jesus, even though it's the, it's, it, it, it's the last judgment has not come, when Jesus finally says the hour is here and he goes to that cross, this is the beginning of judgment because now it's going to get down to this. The very same thing that redeems you, condemns you. Everybody with me? See, Jesus going to that cross means uh, everything else you've ever heard up till now, there's one way to be reconciled back to the Father, and that's through me and what I'm about to do on the cross. So anything else you may hear, anything else you may try, if you don't come to the Father through what I'm about to do on the cross, then you are condemned, so judgment begins now. Because to reject me is to receive the wrath of God. And to receive me is to be reconciled to God. So the very same truth that, is, that reconciles us also condemns us. To reject Jesus means you will be condemned. So judgment is actually beginning now. Yes, the final judgment of the world is, is, is coming when Jesus returns, but Jesus, Jesus is now the light, and the light will now separate good from evil. The judgment of the world is both good news and bad news, because if you reject Jesus, you reject who? God. He's making this clear. He says, look, from this point forward, to reject me is to reject the Father. I kept telling you that the Father and I are one. I kept telling you why I came, and I just told you that I'm going to finish what he told me to do, but you have to understand, you can't reject me and still somehow be okay with God. That's impossible. So judgment is happening now. The cross also, he says what? And, and, and now will the ruler of this world be cast out? Who's he talking about? The devil. He's talking about Satan. He says, hey, let me tell you something. Satan is also in the same situation you're in. He thinks he's going to have triumph because he's going to finally cause these people to kill me, but the very same thing he is celebrating is going to condemn him too. He's about to lose his rank. I'll say, we can't forget this. Understand this. And I don't want to get too, too deep in the weeds, but it's important for us to, to understand this concept. Satan went into the garden, and he took over rule of this world legitimately. He got it. He went in there, and he took it away from, from mankind. And so what happened is when, when the serpent came in and took the world and the authority that God gave human beings away from them and placed himself, not, not in charge of heaven, but in charge of the earth, Jesus then came to what? Return it back to you and me. I'm, uh, now, now in me, you have been given back the authority that my father gave you. So I'm going to take the authority away from Satan and he's going to be ultimately destroyed, and he's going to celebrate me going to the cross, but the very same thing he declares his victory is actually his defeat. And so the same thing that we claim is victory, if we reject it, is actually our defeat. It's almost the opposite. Satan doesn't want this to happen, and we're, we're hoping it happens. Satan wants him dead, but he doesn't want the salvation for sin what we can't do is say, well, yeah, Jesus went to the cross and he did all this and I like Jesus, but I don't accept him for who he said he is. And I think there's some other way other than this for me to find my way into heaven anyway. And you know what? 
you're, you're as condemned as Satan. So judgment has, has started. Because I am the truth, the way uh, I am the truth, the way and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, of course, when he talks about being lifted up, so he says, Judgment has become on sin. I offer redemption, but I also offer condemnation. I remove Satan from his authority. He will be dethroned. I will put myself on the throne. I will be your Lord. I will be your king. You will be my people, and we will rule together. And Satan has been removed. But he also talked about being lifted up. Now, this this certainly means literally that he'll be lifted up on the cross because John tells us that. He's talking about the way he's going to die. So, you know, when they push Jesus up, he's, he's predicting. He said, I'll be lifted up, and everybody will see me, and I'll draw all people to me. So he's talking about the literal lifting up of him on the cross, but he's also talking about the figurative lifting up, meaning I'm going to be pushed up because this is almost over. And I'm going to be pushed up, and eventually when I say it is finished, I'm also going to be glorified. And I'm going to be glorified before the whole world. And I'm going to draw people to me. Drawing people to himself. And what he's saying is the end times have begun. And what he means by I got to draw people to me, he's meaning I got to draw you away from whatever else you think might produce salvation. I got to pull you away from any other plan than to me. There is a new covenant and it is starting right now. So anything you believed before now about how to achieve salvation, it all comes through me. The old covenant is fulfilled and complete. I'm the new covenant, and the whole world better enter through me. And if you don't, you're condemned. If you're watching this and listening to this, you're in this room, if you think you can enter into the presence of a holy God through any other way than Jesus Christ and his redemption on the cross and the resurrection, you are incorrect and you are condemning yourself to hell. You cannot get there any other way than through Jesus. But here's the good news. Jesus said, I draw all people to me, meaning I, I, I provide the way for everyone who, who will go the way. I'll draw those people to me, and I'll draw all the people to me, not just some of the people to me, and, and, and they will enter through, through this. Like we said before, if you, if you want to throw yourself into hell, you'll have to reject the cross in order to do so. Verse 34, so the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? So they must get the crucifixion part he's talking about. How do you say this? We were told by the prophets that that Messiah doesn't ever die. And they were told this in Isaiah 9, 7, if you want to write this down. Ezekiel 37, 25. Psalms 72, 71. And then Psalms 89, 35 through 37. But they're confused because he's saying that he's going to die, and they think that Scripture says that he will be a triumphant king that lives and endures forever. Well, yeah, that is what he is. You're right. They they can't comprehend this whole crucifixion thing. See, they're getting everything out of order. They're not understanding what's been said about Jesus in prophecy. He will be a triumphant king that will live and endure forever. Scripture certainly says that. But what they're missing is they want to reject the part of this time when he's the servant, who's the lowly servant, who serves his father, goes and gives himself up, a king who, who gives himself up for the kingdom, and then ultimately, because he gave himself up, 
He defeats death, and He does live forever, and He does reign, but they're wanting to skip a step. So they're rejecting this. They're not understanding what the prophecy actually says. You, you've got it partially right, but in order to be that king, I've got, I have to go pay the price for sin. And you know what they really don't like? For all. For the Gentiles too. And they, they said, no, you're our triumphant king, and you're not ever supposed to die. You're not supposed to give yourself up. That's not what we thought. Well, that's the, a lowly king. Well, he's not always going to be a lowly king, but he's working his way to what the prophecy is actually saying. So, so catch this, 35 through 36a. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light. And then we'll get to 36b in a minute. He's telling these people that are screaming, you are not saying and doing what we want you to do. We've seen this through the entire Gospel of John, and that is Jesus is rejecting people that want to tell him what they prefer him to be. And Jesus says, no, you don't tell me who I am. I'm telling you who I am, and you submit to that. And think about how many times. Look at the world we're living in right now. Every, there's people screaming at Jesus still and screaming at God still saying, we want you to be what we want you to be. We won't accept you for who you are. The truth that God rattled me with is, hey, he told me is clear. Stop trying to make me something you're more comfortable with, with and submit to my authority and let me change you into something I'm more comfortable with. Because I'm holy. i got to change you. You're the one that needs to be changed, not me. I've always been holy. You're the one that's not holy. Let me change you. You don't get to change me. Now, some of us don't want to be changed. We want God to somehow be who we want him to be, which means I want you to forgive me, but I don't, I don't want you to, I don't want, I don't want to give up my sin. I don't want to give up this world. I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to go through problems. I don't want to be sick. I don't want any of these problems. I want you to just continually, continuously bless me. And then I want to be able to do whatever I want to do, but then I'm going to make you into a God. I, I may not like your standard for marriage. We see that loud and clear right now, don't we? And we're taking an ancient, I mean, ancient, so straightforward, clear vision that God has shown us in creation and in his word. And, and we, have, we, we have a denomination that claims to be, a, and they're not the only one, sadly, that they're, right now they've, they've split and they're going to have their conference and officially split. And I credit, I credit the members of this Christian denomination that finally said, y'all won't leave, so we will. Because we're not staying here in this congregation with you while you reject God's standard for marriage. We would be healthier to be done with y'all, which is biblical, by the way. It's one thing for people to say we're all struggling, we're trying to figure it out, and we're working our way there. But when people stand up in the church and say, we reject God's standard openly, then those people got to go. Or, or you got to go. You know, now, we're not talking about people that are lost, that are saying, hey, I don't understand. I'm here. I'm working through it. I, you know, I'll, I'll be convicted of my sin, maybe, and then I'll be redeemed. I'm just here to learn. I'm a seeker. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people who say, no, no, no. We are members of the church. We have been redeemed, and here's who we say God is. And we say that his word is not his final authority, 
and we say that his standards are shaky and gray, and we're making up our version of God, but we want to remain right here in this congregation, and we're going to continue to have church. You better get out of there, or you better get them out of there. I mean, one of those two better take place, or you're going to have problems, because God has been clear in Scripture that, that that's, a, that's a game changer for him. You do realize that, right? You realize that God says, and I have to explain this a lot, because sometimes people come up to me and say, hey, if you're dealing with, we're told to engage the lost. You know who we're told not to engage? The false prophet. The, 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 the wolves in sheep's clothing inside the congregation that claim to be a member of the church, but yet they rebel against God, or they're going to change theology to fit their own desires and reject his. Do you know what scripture says about those people? Don't even eat with them. Have nothing to do with those people. Y'all do realize that. And somehow we're trying to treat those people the way we treat the lost, and that's not the same thing. The lost don't know any better. They, they, they need our compassion. They don't need our, they don't need our confirmation. They don't need a, for us to approve, but they do need our compassion and our grace because they don't know any better. But when somebody says we have a false version of God, we're a false teacher, we're false prophets, we're false saints, the Bible says don't have anything to do with those people. So, And you're going to see this here in just a minute. Jesus is going to show you this here in just a minute. When, when they continue to say that they don't want him to be who he says he is, he doesn't sit there and debate them about it. He moves on. He moves on. So, so, so listen to this right here. It says... Don't reject the light because, see, the cross is going to come momentarily and take away the light. There is going to be a moment when darkness is going to come over this earth because for, for just a moment, I'm going to be dead, which means my light for just a minute is going to be blocked. And, and you, better, you better deal with me because when I come out on the other side and I, and I come back resurrected as the king, it is finished and I have accomplished what I needed to accomplish you need to listen to what I'm saying so when I pay the price, you receive it. You get it. And he says, the cross is going to take away the light briefly, but trust in Jesus. He said, if you don't trust in me, if you reject the light, he's telling them, you're getting me wrong right now. And if you reject me, guess what you're going to be doing? Stumbling around in the dark. You're going to be lost. You're not going to have me to illuminate the path and show you God. You're going to wander around, stumbling around in the darkness. You're going to be lost. Don't reject me. Don't reject me. Some of the light, of course, is, is, is referenced. You know, he's using this analogy of light, and he's used that a lot in the Gospel of John and throughout Scripture. But keep in mind, there were times that the Hebrews were called children of the light. And he's telling his own people, don't reject the light, because if you reject me, you won't be children of the light anymore. You'll be children of darkness. You know, this light that you have, that you're claiming, the light you have is the light of you being God's people. Well, I'm fulfilling the old covenant. There's now a new covenant. And if you reject, reject the new covenant, you won't be children of light anymore. And you won't have access to the light. And then you'll be stumbling around in the darkness. And can I tell you from a man who stumbled around the darkness for 13 years of my life, you don't want that. Because there's no guarantee you'll come out of it. You know, I, I, every time young people, I can just sense, and I'm always careful with my testimony, because what I don't want young people to take away are really, for your case, men. 
younger men to take away. Some of you older men. Well, I've heard Burgess' testimony. I mean, he walked around the darkness, and he came out of it. And he was redeemed by Jesus, and ultimately he spent the last half of his life, I hope I finished well, or this a portion of his life, life in, in the light, it all worked out for him. Well, I can go back through the people that ran around with me in those 13 years. There's not many of us that are in the light. Matter of fact, some of them are dead and gone. And I'm not their judge, but unless something happened that I didn't know about, they're in hell. So it doesn't always work out. And you know what he's saying is, don't take that chance that you're going to reject me now and get back around to it later. Because later may never come. I, I heard a pastor talking about this uh, where I was at, uh, where was I, in Crestview, Baker, Florida, speaking at the Bold's con Bold Conference, and that pastor was talking about the urgency of it. He, he said he's never forgotten as a little boy. He saw a woman that, that was a woman who had lived a rough life, and she stepped out of the aisle, went down front. Everybody celebrated. Praise the Lord. She came forward, and she, 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 she acknowledged Christ as her Savior. She submitted to his authority. She repented of her sins. Everybody was celebrating. It was a wonderful day. Everybody was hugging her. She walks out in the parking lot, and an elderly woman accidentally puts her car in drive, then reverse, and kills her. I mean, she stepped outside that church after redemption and was killed in the parking lot. And he thought to himself, what if it had not been today? Sometimes, for some of us, a little rough. It's shocking that God's let me live this long. Because sometimes people, he says, once I get you redeemed, I better go ahead and take you home before you mess this thing up. <laughs> you know? And uh, I'm going to show grace to you and the rest of everybody else that you're going to confuse by killing you now. <laughs> you know, you wait too long. And, you know, so, so you know, if, if, I don't, if, I, if I, look, if, if I go here like tomorrow or today, y'all say, well, Burgess told us that, he was living on borrowed time. Uh, so, uh, and that's true. See, that's what always makes me mad when people get upset about bad things happening to me. I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not confused by bad stuff happening to me. I'm confused by anything good happening to me. I'm surprised that God hasn't, hasn't allowed worse things to happen to me. Because, because I don't deserve anything good by the way I've lived my life. I'm, I, all I am is someone who appreciates the grace and mercy that I've been shown. That's it. So I don't, I don't get upset with God when things don't go right. That's, that's mainly all on me. I, I'm more shocked by his grace and mercy than I am his wrath. Because his wrath makes sense to me. His grace and mercy doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm certainly thankful for that. So he's saying that. So, and then, of course, uh, the last part of 36, listen to what he says here. He says, uh, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. He now is departing from them. And, um, and, 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 and when he says this last line, and this is what's really sad. I mean, think about the last thing that our loving Savior says. Look, while you have the light, believe in the light. That you may become sons of the light. And the very next thing that John documents breaks your heart. When Jesus has said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though, though he had done many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. He knows it. Because you know, he always knows a man's heart. He knows a woman's heart. And you hear him saying, don't reject the light. 
because the light's not always going to be here with you. You're not always going to see the things that you see. And the reason why he said these things and departed and hid himself from them is because he knew that they would not believe. So he, he rose on. He didn't stay with them because they rejected him, so he left. For the rest of his earthly ministry, Jesus now would devote himself mainly to his disciples. And he moves on from the focus of the unbelievers and moves on to those he needs to prepare to now take the ministry and continue. He's, he's basically done with his debates over who he is. And at this point, he's saying, I gotta, I'm going to the cross now. I'm going to try to get you guys ready uh, for the cross and you ladies ready for the cross. And then I'm about to give this ministry to you and the unbelievers will now be your responsibility. I've made my case. And some have rejected me. So John tells us in 38 that this happened so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He's talking about Isaiah 53.1. And listen to this. said, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us to whom he has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? What Isaiah is saying here, he's saying, look, there's going to come a time when you're going to be here and the arm of the Lord represents the signs and wonders that Jesus had been doing. And really what Isaiah is saying is, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and, and whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who are these people that get to see all these signs that you're going to do? They're going to see the arm of the Lord. It's going to be obvious that, that the arm of the Lord is on you and, you're, and, and this Messiah is going to do all these signs. He says, but many will see that and still not believe just as Isaiah had predicted. 39, therefore they could not believe. And then he goes on to talk about, and this is where we're going to get real deep before we leave. For again, Isaiah said, and this is Isaiah 6.10, he has blinded their eyes, and underline this, and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Of course, Isaiah is talking about Jesus crying over Jerusalem, how, I, how often I've longed to gather you together and protect you as a hen does her chicks, but you were not willing. If you will turn to me and repent, I'll heal you. Now, when we get into hardening of the heart, I know this is a, a bone of contention for many people when the Bible points to God hardening people's hearts. Well, there's, 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 Four things that we need to discuss about this, and, and this, is, this is what Scripture says. God's sovereignty is never pitted against human responsibility. You, you say, well, it says that God hardened their hearts. Yes, but what we see here is that God, if you'll notice, many times the people who, whose hearts are eventually hardened by God have rejected him over and over and over again. They, they don't respond to him revealing himself to them. And it says there is, there is a certain human responsibility and you can't say that you blame God for what he did like God didn't know what he's doing. You played a role in that. Second part, it says this is a holy condemnation of a guilty people who are now condemned to do what they have chosen. You say, well, God shouldn't harden people's heart. You know what the Bible says? Yes, he should. 
This is holy condemnation. You rejected him. You pushed him back. And so what God did is he condemned you justifiably because of your, your rejection of him. So he takes that heart and he turns it completely away from him and says, you don't want me. It's a holy condemnation. It's a holy condemnation. Number three, God's sovereignty in these matters is also cause for hope. For if he isn't sovereign in, the air, in, in these areas, there's little hope in us peti- petitioning him for help. <laughs> you know, God's sovereignty is also a wonderful thing. Because if he's not sovereign and he's not in control and he's not in charge, then he's not worth going and petitioning anything to because he can't do anything about it. You know, one of the things that we say at our house all the time is this did not catch God off guard. Hey, don't ever think, get in your mind, and this is for hope. Don't ever get in your mind that whatever you're going through, that some angel, some, some flunky angel, like, like maybe third level, runs into the throne room and says, you're not going to believe what's going on with Rick. Where have you been? Man, you're not going to believe things are happening with him. You, none, none of this catches God by surprise. And you have to think to this, if you believe in a sovereign God, anything that is happening to you, has, has, even, even if, it's a, it's a, if we've created our own problem, it has been allowed because we certainly know that God can stop it. Now see, where you've got to get to where you're all in on God's sovereignty, I mean, you, where you believe that God's will is always right, because if you don't, what will happen is you'll start believing in God's sovereign truth and the adversary will use it against you. He'll creep up to you like he did in the garden. He'll say, so you believe that God is sovereign? Yes, I do. Praise his holy name. So he did this to you. But see, then we got to learn to say back, he absolutely did, which means it's right. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 and this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. If necessary. This is hard, Lord. I know it is. This must be for my own good and your glorification. You are correct. You know what I say about pain and suffering? Don't waste it. Man, don't waste it. Because you, you learn a lot in there. A lot about God. A lot about, about pride and arrogance and, and strength. You know, like I said, my terrible sin of self-reliance, God took that away from me. And I'm so thankful that he took that away from me. So another thing that uh, Isaiah, you know, if you remember about God's sovereignty, Isaiah actually used God's sovereignty, what? By also pleading for mercy. Just as the church pleads for mercy. We learned that, right? What good is it to plead for mercy from somebody who's not sovereign? What if we just don't? We don't know what's going to happen. I don't know whether they can do it or not. See, the same, the same hardening that is holy condemnation is the same sovereignty that gives us hope that he can actually show mercy because he's sovereign. So don't, don't miss that. And then... God's hardening of hearts brings a bigger need to be redeemed. He must redeem us to give us hope. It, it just shows you the human, human state and, and how human beings come to the conclusion 
that there's nothing that we can do to redeem ourselves. Nothing. I mean, what, what does the Bible tell us? Our best shot is filthy rags compared to a holy God. We are hopeless without our sovereign God. Praise his holy name. Isaiah said these things because he saw glory and spoke of him. Look at 41, 42. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Ouch. Ouch. People who believed yet hesitate to pay a price, afraid that it may cost them something. Is that you? I secretly believe, but I don't want anybody to know it. I don't want anybody to know it. I believe in God, I just don't talk about it that much. And see, that what, what John's pointing out is, is, is Jesus actually said that those who will not profess me in front of man... I'm not going to mention in front of the Father. But those who profess me in front of men, I will profess before the Father. There is no such thing as a relationship in Jesus Christ that nobody knows about. Acts 4 again. I guess we're going to do Acts 4 a lot today. They, they recognized that they were with Jesus. And they're saying, look, we used to be afraid. We used to run. But now, I mean, you, you, you can't tell but we're with Jesus. Everywhere we go, everybody knows it. Before, they were like, I don't want anybody to know this. It's going to bring trouble on us. And he says, we had people in the synagogue who were even part of the, of the leadership, and they knew that Jesus was who he was, but they wouldn't say anything because they were more afraid of the reaction of men and more afraid to lose their status. They, they, they came to the conclusion that world status was more importantly than devotion to Jesus. How about you? How about me? I mean, am I sitting here right now and God shows up and says, you know what? Got you a show here. You've done some good work with it. Some of it you kind of abused. Most of it here. We've done some good things here. But i got to tell you something. I'm done with that. I just want you to, to, to glorify me and, and, and live your life out. But any kind of status, it's over. That's good with me. I promise you. It is. I don't, I don't know what I would do, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't fret about it. Because this is only as good as it glorifies him. If it didn't glorify him and all it does is glorify me or glorify Bubba or glorify our team, it's not worth anything. It's not worth anything. Nicodemus was willing to stand up, wasn't he? He was willing to stand up and, and, and defend Jesus. And, and he, he caught some flack for that. He and Joseph of Arimathea, they identified themselves as followers of Jesus because they said they want to take, can we have the body? I mean, you realize how public that was? Don't picture, if you've ever been to, to uh, Jerusalem, you've ever been to Israel, don't picture that Jesus was crucified somebody way off, somewhere way off in the distance. No, they made sure that you could see people hanging on crosses as you walked to the market that day. If, you, if you've been to Jerusalem where they think he was crucified, you can see the skull. There's a bus station there now, which is weird. It's right outside the gates of the city. They, they, didn't, they didn't wander off onto somebody's hunting lane. They wanted you to see it. So when Nicodemus... And, and, and Joseph of Arimathea came to get the body. Everybody saw him taking it and trying to treat it with some respect. So here's the big question. 
These people that John's talking about, are these people saved? Did they do enough? Well, here's what John says. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from the Father. If this attitude never changes about these people, according to Matthew 6, 1 through 21, write that down. Romans 2, uh, verse 20, I can't read my writing, it's either 21 or 29. It's kind of what I talked about a minute ago. According to Scripture, a secret faith will not do. This is not about a code of conduct. It's not the way you have to behave. Scripture says a secret faith in Jesus is no faith at all. So John's not saying, who knows what happens to these people? Maybe it changes after the resurrection. Maybe they become public at that point. But John is clearly stating if they keep this attitude, and you keep this attitude, and I keep this attitude, John questions that faith has ever taken place because it's not a faith of action. not talking about earning anything. We're talking about the power of Jesus Christ. If, If Jesus Christ is something that you can comfortably keep secret, I just can't imagine you've ever really encountered him. Right? I'm just speaking for myself. Because I used to be one of these people that had that cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity is no Christianity at all. 44, and Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. This is pretty straightforward. He's summarizing, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. I've been telling you this all the way through my earthly ministry. To reject me is to reject the Father. Look at 46. I have come into the world as light. So whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. This is him once again, you know, repeating what he's already said. The light brings condemnation, but also restoration and transformation. Listen, this is important. Get this. And I heard a young pastor preach on this uh, uh, about three weeks ago. I just listened to it about a week ago. And man, he said it perfect. He was talking about how we as the church deal with the problems out there when people are saying, you know, don't don't be judgmental and don't be this and what about grace and da da da. He says, here's here's the big misunderstanding: is that truth and grace are equal. One does not outweigh the other. You cannot have grace without truth, and you can't have truth without grace. What good is grace to me if nobody's ever told me the truth in my situation? Hey, God died for you for what? Well, it's not for me to say. So wh- why do I care about what do I need grace for? There's nothing wrong with me. I hate to say it, I hope things have changed. Our president said at one time that he didn't think he'd done anything he needed to be forgiven for. And by the world standard, and maybe that's changed, but by the world standard, he didn't understand what we were talking about. So if you didn't point into his life and say, I'll tell you why I need grace, because you do this, you do that, you're this way, you're that way, and the scriptures say if you're that way, that that's sin, and if you're going to stay in that sin and, and, and you refuse this grace, you do need grace. How do I know I need grace if nobody tells me the truth? Now, but do we also tell the truth and then remind everybody of grace and that we all are saved by grace, meaning we're all equal at the foot of the cross? We're not arrogant and prideful about it? Yes. We're all in equal need of redemption. But see, I think we're trying to figure out as the church, you know, it's like, well, come on in here and and, and let us affirm you because we want to be gracious. But then we didn't tell you the truth. 
or we shake our finger at you and we holler at you and we point at you and we always talk about how bad you are and how wrong you are and all that, but we never tell you about grace. Truth and grace are equal. One does not trump the other. They stand like pillars. So you know what the best way to treat human beings as a church? Bring them in and point them to Jesus. Don't worry about all this. Just point them to Jesus and they'll either reject Jesus or they'll accept him. But, but when we start talking about all the symptoms, we got to talk about the disease. We're in need of, of grace. That is the truth. Jesus is the truth who provides the grace. Look, you could have told me, oh, you think people never told me to stop being a drunk? You think people didn't tell me to stop being foul-mouthed? You think people didn't tell me to stop breaking the law? You think people didn't tell me to stop fighting? You think people didn't tell me to stop being disrespectful? You think people didn't tell me to stop chasing women that weren't my wife? You think I didn't know that? What good was it to tell me that? What you had to do eventually, what is, hey, can we point you to Jesus? And then once I found Jesus, then I realized, oh, this is why you don't do all that. I don't desire that anymore. And now that sanctification process continues. But it's Jesus who changed me, not, not your ability to point out the things I was doing. You just told me I needed Jesus, period. And then once I found Jesus, then that other stuff we addressed. Doesn't mean we don't ever address it. But you can't address that before you ever point him to Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. What about Jesus? He'll save you. Do I need to be saved? You do. We all do. And that's what Jesus is saying here. As we continue in 47 and 48, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. What? What does he say? And these are the kind of verses that the grace abusers love. They grab that and say, oh, look what Jesus said. Listen to what he said, though. What he's saying is, if you hear the words and you don't keep them, he says, then that same truth that I've talked about, the same truth that will restore you will condemn you. You know what he's saying? You judge yourself. I've already spoken the truth. So what the truth that I have spoken, that's what condemns you. It doesn't mean it's okay and that you can do whatever you want to do. He's saying what I've come to do is to save the world. And if you reject that I've come to save the world or you reject that you need to be saved, that's what judges you. Just the truth about me judges you. You've condemned yourself. Not that truth doesn't matter. He said the truth's been spoken and there it is. And if you reject it, Reject it, that's your condemnation. Because I have fulfilled the very same thing that will restore you will also condemn you. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Couldn't be said any clearer than what I just said. 49 and 50, we're almost done. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is beautiful. They knew, remember he's talking to Hebrews here, they knew the law of Moses was life. They knew that. Jesus is clarifying the new covenant. He's saying, in closing, I myself have fulfilled the law. I, I myself have fulfilled the law. 
I'm now life. You thought, you thought that the law of Moses brought you life? I am the law of Moses complete. I am. I and the Father are one. I have fulfilled everything the Father requires. And if you want to be restored to the Father and meet every requirement that he demands, then that's me. That's me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the, these incredible words, the conviction, the, the confirmation, uh, the, the, the peace that comes with today. And, 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 the, and the truth that we take away today is that we understand that grace and truth stand side by side. And the very thing that is so gracious about you, if we reject it, is the very same thing that will condemn us. And we pray these things, Lord, in the name above every name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, guys. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.